Good morning, church, and welcome to the final session of Encounter Weekend. Woo! So pumped. I'm so excited. Uh, before we get started, though, I just want to give it a couple things. I want to thank uh, both Ambrose University and Vanguard College for sponsoring this event. Uh, you guys can catch Vanguard in the foyer if you want to talk to them about Bible College. They're a really great school. I am a personal graduate from there. Uh, secondly, I also want to give it another round of applause for Resurgence for preparing worship for this entire weekend. It was just really amazing for them to lead us into the presence of the Lord. And it's just been really, really incredible. So, for those of you who weren't here, I'm going to give you guys a bit of a recap so you guys know where we're starting. <laughs> so throughout this weekend, we have been talking about what it means to be welcomed home. Do you guys, do you guys feel like you guys got a good understanding, youth kids? You got, you got it? Okay, well, I'm going to talk more about it, so too bad. <laughs> so we started on Friday night with an amazing speaker by the name of Aaron Reed, who really told us what it meant to be welcomed home into the arms of a father, of a father who waits patiently for you. And then Saturday morning, I, I, a good friend of mine named the name of Braden Brodeur came, and he preached on what it meant for the king to make himself known to the prodigal. And then lastly, Last night, uh, my really good friend DeAndre Alexander over at Saints Church came and preached on what it meant to be healed by the, by the, by the king, to give, being given a new name to really have this idea. So now it's my time. And as we, we keep talking about this idea of prodigal, you know, I just like, okay, well, what, what, what do I have to talk about? How much more can we talk about this story and for me, it came down to this idea about how he was once a prodigal and he's now royalty. It's just such an incredible story of the prodigal son coming from this place of not royalty back into the king's arms. So my youth kids, do you guys feel like you guys know the prodigal story really well at this point? You guys have heard it like three times this weekend? Well, we're going to read it again, so <laughs> that's just too bad. <laughs> So I'm going to open it in Luke 15, chapter, uh, verse 11 through 24. Then Jesus says, Once there was a father with two sons. The younger, younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me my share of your estate? So the father went ahead and distributed between the two sons their inheritance. Shortly after, the younger son packed all of his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he had been given on binge and extravagant living. So I want to pause here for a quick second. You know, we've often heard this part of the story, and we're like, oh, that's so awful, because to ask for your inheritance early, even in today's culture, would be seen as insane. Like if, you know, my son Hugo, if somehow he learned how to say, like, multiple sentences, and was like, Dad, I want my inheritance. I'd be like, you're three, go back to bed. <laughs> but it still seems insane, right? But he obliges, which is strange. Because first off, the son would have been essentially saying, Dad, you're taking too long to die. So give me my inheritance. Which is wild. He said, you're better off dead, Father. Give me my money. And just to know that the culture at the time, he had no obligation to give out his money. In fact, him giving out his money actually would have probably caused him to be a bit of a downcast by society. 
Because society would have viewed him giving away his money as him admitting death. It would have been as if the father was saying, I am giving my, wife, my life away. It was essentially him saying, okay, you want me dead, here is my life. It was the father giving his life away to his children. And that would have been seen as insane. It was like, but you're not dead. Why are you already giving away your life? But he did. He obliges. Because that's just the kind of man that he is. And then the story continues in verses 14. It says, With everything spent and nothing left, his son grew hungry. Because there was a severe famine in the land, he begged a farmer in the country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed pigs. The son was so famished that he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. So first off, there's a lot of crazy things here. I want us to understand a little bit of the culture and context of the day. So at that time of the day, like they, they didn't believe that you would eat pigs. And often they would take the law to quite extremes. They would take that law of we can't eat pig to, you shouldn't even touch pigs. So not only was the job he took low, it was the low of the low. And not only did he touch pigs, he envied their food. He envied what they ate. Which is this place that brings them down to this point of great shame and regret and all these things. And the, the thing about the parables that I really love so much, when we look at Scripture and we look at how the Bible is told, is that the, a lot of the parables that Jesus taught at that time were parables that would have been kind of common to that day. So a story like this would have been told, they would be recognizing this story, essentially. But what Jesus does that I love here is that Jesus continues the story. Because it would have been very common for the story to end here. With the son in this place of shame, where he had learned, where he had got what he deserved. You know, he told his father, I wish you were dead. And then he spent his, his wealth on gambling, on women, on extravagant living, on sin. And then he gets to a place of very low, of the lowest of the low. It would have been like, see, this is what you do. You should treat people with respect and honor, and when you don't, this is what you get. That would have been the common thought for the day. But Jesus continues the story. And I often found myself asking, why? Jesus, why, why do you continue the story here? And this is what I love about this, is that Jesus isn't interested in a story about getting what we deserve. Jesus is interested in a story of grace, mercy, love, and repentance. That's the story that Jesus is interested in. He doesn't care about someone doing something wrong and getting their just due. He cares about revealing his grace and mercy. So the story continues. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing, and he thought... There are so many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back to my father's house. And I will say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. 
I will never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, treat me like one of your employees. So the young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar. And with great compassion swelled up in his heart for the son who was returning home. The father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. And the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father went to his son and said, Son, you are home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, in fact, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring me the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And bring me out the best of shoes so you, for my, so we can, that you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate, for my beloved son was once dead, but now he is alive. Once he was lost, but now he is found, and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. I love this story. This is such an amazing story of a prodigal who comes home, and it really reveals the love of a father. And this is, what, this is what I love about this, this story is that I want us to kind of imagine to be in the son's shoes and how he felt, how he viewed himself even. He got to a point of so low that he envied pig's food. The shame. And he thought, you know, he came to a place of remembering his father's kindness you know, his father wasn't kind to his servants, he wouldn't have went. But his father was kind, and he said, even being treated as a slave of my father would be better than how I feel now. And I, and I can just imagine that long walk he had to take. So it says he went to a far-off land, to another country, and he had to walk that country back. And I can just imagine that buildup of shame, and that buildup of all these feelings he has about himself. And yet he still comes. And I, what I love about what the father does is that he immediately addresses the son's identity. Where the son is feeling low and saying, I'm only worthy of being a slave. The father says, nonsense. I will put a ring of sonship on you. I will give you a fine robe. I will put a feast for you were once dead, but now you are alive for my son has returned. The prodigal son didn't even think he was worthy of the title of son, but God says otherwise. It's this beautiful parable, parallel about how the father treats his son versus how the son views himself. See, the, the king simply welcomes him home. And this is what I love, is that Jesus is not interested in how we view ourselves, but is only interested in bringing correction to that view. However, the son first had to come to a place of wanting to come home. The son had to come to a place of seeking repentance, essentially. You know, we all know the, the classic 
definition of repentance, right? To turn away from one's sins. Turn away. And this is what I love about the story is that it, it kind of adds on to this. Because it, it essentially shows that repentance is more than just turning away from one's sin, but is actually revealing also grace, mercy, love, freedom, and deliverance. Because the son turning away and walking back home means he had to come to a place of realization of he got so low that he said, I need help. I can't keep living like this. And that there's so much more to the idea of repentance than we think. In Acts 3 and Philippians 1, I want to read some passages from there. So in Acts 3, it says this, Repent, therefore, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, so that a time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And Philippians 1, 6 says this, Pray with great faith for you, because I am fully convinced that the one who began this gracious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is what we often forget, is that repentance is simply the first step. Is that that step of turning away from your sins, that's, that's a great first step, and we applaud it, and we're so thankful for it. But then there's more. In, in Acts, it says that there is a time of refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. So after we repent, there comes a time when Jesus has to come in and do a renewal work, do a refreshing, do a reworking of what had been happened. See, we often think about, you know, when we think about this idea of being delivered from our sins, being freed from our sins, I know we often get caught in this trap of, I first need to get good before I come to God. We, we have this urgency to come to God clean, to come to God pure, to come to him in white robes <laughs> in a way, and saying, look, God, I am clean, I am good. But that's not what the Bible says. In fact, it, it, it says different. You know, in Philippians it says that with great faith, Jesus will begin a great work in you that will not be done until the return of Christ. That means Jesus wants to do a continual work in us. And I don't know about you, but I am not perfect. But I know that I need Jesus to continue that clean work. You know, we often think, when we think about deliverance, we often think that deliverance is from something. Right? To be delivered, I am delivered from my sin. I am delivered from my addiction. I am delivered from, you know, lust. I'm delivered from gambling. I'm delivered from lying. I'm delivered from my shame. I'm delivered from my regret. But that is not it at all. You know, I, I had a personal conversation with uh, Doug Balzer, who uh, used to work at District here, and we were talking about deliverance. And he says this, if you can throw it up on the screen. Deliverance is not freedom from something, but freedom to someone, and that someone is Jesus. I'm going to read that again because it's so good. Deliverance is not freedom from something, but freedom to someone, and that someone is Jesus. 
And this is what I love about the story of the prodigal son. Is that before he went to his father, he didn't seek freedom from the things that he had done. He didn't seek freedom from the gabbling. He didn't seek freedom from the extravagant living. He didn't seek freedom from probably all the women he slept with. No, it says that he went to his father dressed as a beggar. Dressed as a beggar, he went to him. As a beggar. He said, Father, I'm not enough. Make me whole. In Galatians 5, 1, it says this, At least we have freedom, for Christ has set us free. We must always cherish this truth and firmly refuse to go back to the bondage of our past. This prodigal son who comes to the Father not in a state of perfection, but actually in a state of complete lowness, of complete brokenness. And he says, I need you. I need you. And this is what I love, is that he's not preparing for Jesus or the Father to make this, to let him back in to where he was, but the Father does anyway. Because it doesn't matter. You come to this place of seeking me out. You have returned to me. That means you are enough. And we will exchange your beggar's clothes for robes of royalty. We will exchange your beggar's clothes for a ring of sonship. We will exchange your beggar's clothes for sandals of a king, of a prince, of a princess. And this freedom is only found in Jesus. He has set us free. But we must cherish this truth. And firmly refuse to go back into bondage of our past. You know, the kind of question that I often read when I read this story though is, is so the king was the, the father was patiently waiting for his son the entire time right so it says the, the father saw him far off and ran towards him it means the father was waiting for the son waiting for him so my question today is the father is waiting what are you willing to do to get there? You know, the son had to walk across a country in his moments of shame and regret and all these things, thinking about what he would say to his father. What are you willing to get there? You know, there's another story in the Bible that I want to read, and one of the reasons I want to read it is because we sang a song this weekend that, that I really love um, called Tear Off the Roof. Uh, by a man named Brandon Lake, and it's this amazing song that's about this story, which is in Mark 2, 3 through 12. It says this, So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking a word to them. Then the people came around, bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. 
And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the, the paralyzed man lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Child, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit what they were discussing. And they were questioning among themselves. And he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Stand up, take up your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, stand up, take up your mat, and go home. And he stood up, immediately took his mat, and went out before all of them. And they were amazed and glorified God, saying that we have never seen anything like this. So what I love about this, this story is, is that they were willing to rip off the roof to get to Jesus. They are willing to tear through this roof just to get to Jesus. And there's so many stories we can look at that are like that. We can look at the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. She thought, if I could just touch Jesus. If I could just touch Jesus. And this man just thought, if I can just get to him, if I can just remove this roof. My question for you guys is, can you just get to Jesus? Can you just get there? And I get it. It's not like this parable son that when he got to his father, everything was made right. You know, we don't know what his next life journey was like because we're not told the end of that story. And I know that to become free, yes, there is a moment of going to Jesus and saying, I'm coming to you in my ragged clothes. Come and make me well. And it is through Jesus that we actually get delivered from the things that we struggle with. That's where we get delivered from addiction. That's where we get delivered from lust. That's where we get delivered from sin. It's not from our own work, but only from the work of the king. You know, something that I said on a Friday night to our, our youth kids was, you know, Jesus is calling you to himself. This is what I love about Jesus. This is what I love about God is that he's constantly calling you to him. He's constantly saying, child, son, daughter, I need you. Come home. But it requires us to come in a beggar's clothes and say, yes, Jesus, I'm coming home. Yes, Jesus, I am coming home. But it requires us to take that step. Jesus is waiting with open arms and saying, please, please come home. Please. You know, you know I, I really, really love my job. You know, I love being a youth pastor. It's an amazing thing. And, you know, I love all you guys. And I've loved being able to see a journey of how you guys have come to faith and how you guys have continued to grow and how Jesus has called you out. The hardest part of this job, though, is seeing Jesus call children and they don't come back home. That's hard. 
because I love all of you so much. I care so much about you guys. I want you all to know Jesus, to experience that love, that mercy, that grace, that true repentance that leads to salvation, that leads to a good life. And it's hard every time I see a youth kid walk out those doors for the last time knowing that they didn't get to Jesus. But I know I just got to plant a seed. I just got to do the work and hoping that they'll come. That's why this was our theme this year, this welcome home, because I wanted you guys to realize the importance of being welcomed home into the arms of a father who loves you. To the arms of a father who says, you are worth it. To the arms of a father who says, I will die for you. I will get up on a cross and let my hands be pierced for you. A father who says, I will give you a new name. If you think you are worthless, I will say you are worth it. So worth it, I will die for you. That's the kind of love this king has for you. This beautiful love. And what I love is that not only does he invite us back home, but he asks us to live life with him. You know, in the Revelations passage I read earlier, it says, it said that Jesus says, I'm knocking at the door. If you let me in, we will have dinner together and do life together. Jesus is knocking at your door. And I know this weekend he's been knocking at all our youth kids' doors. He's, I'm here. I'm here. Let me in. Please let me in. I'm Jesus. I love you. I care for you. I need you. I want you. He's knocking at your door. Some of you have let him in. Some of you have just let him in the porch and just been like, oh, hi, how's it going? Do you need anything? He says, well, I, I want to go in the living room. How many of you are willing to let him in, not just into your doorstep, but into the deeper parts of your life? Jesus isn't okay with just being let in. He's so happy to be let in. But he also has so much more for you. My youth kids, what, what is the thing I always say? Nick, what do I always say? God is calling you to a higher standard. How are you meeting it? That's what Jesus wants. When he's welcomed to your house, he says, I want to do life with you so you can understand the higher standard. Because the higher standard is simply Jesus. The higher standard is simply the Father. The Father was trying to show the prod his prodigal son how to live life. And he said, I don't care how you live life, Father. I'm going to go do my own thing. And he had to let him go. And hoping he would return to relearn how to live the life God has planned, had planned for him. See, Jesus wants to do life with us. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, it says this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, and I won't lay any heavy or ill-fitting thing on you. Keep coming with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. See, this verse, as much as it is about rest and giving God your burden, it is about doing life with Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, when they would try to deal with their sin, they would bring a calf and bring it to the altar of God, and, and they would kill it, and that would be their offering. That was their, their altar offering. And now what we do 
It's essentially we just come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, here's my burdens. And what we do that's wrong is we say, Jesus, here's my burden. Peace. I'm out of here. See you tomorrow. And Jesus doesn't want that. What Jesus really wants for us to do is he wants us to bring our burdens, bring our sin, bring our hardship, bring these lies that we believe about ourselves and say, Jesus, here it is. Now, Jesus, can we sit together? Can we sit together? Can you show me how to overcome this? Because when we lay it at Jesus' feet and walk away, what's stopping from that burden from returning? What's stopping that shame from returning? I know this because I know the struggle of trying to overcome sin without Jesus. And by just saying, yeah, Jesus, here's, here's my struggle, here's my depression, here's my anxiety, Jesus. Okay, now I'm going to go live my life. You know, it took God yelling at me for me to realize that I needed to work with him. You know, I said this on Saturday night. Uh, when we were talking about how we view ourselves. You know, for the longest time, I viewed myself as worthless. I viewed myself as unworthy. I viewed myself as someone not worth a single breath. I wasn't worth a single breath in my mind. I wasn't worth the life I was given. I once said to God, and this is in a time, and I, I was mad and I was frustrated, and I was contemplating ending my life. And I said to God, I don't deserve this life you've given me. I don't deserve the life you gave. And I just remember God saying, how dare you? I have laid before you. How dare you not realize how I view you? A child, my child, my son, my royalty. It took that breaking down for me to realize that I couldn't just drop my problems at God's feet and walk away. That for me to truly experience deliverance, it required me coming to Jesus and staying with him, sitting in that presence. The band here is going to sing one final song. I'm going to ask us to do something that for some of you may be a bit uncomfortable. But, you know, on Friday night, we did an altar call, like an old-fashioned altar call, where they asked people to come up to the front. And we had three youth kids come up to the front got out of their seats and walked forward. And if a kid who is 13, 14, 15, 16 can get up and walk to the front and say, I want Jesus, I think that we can get a bit uncomfortable. You guys okay with that? You guys okay with some bit of uncomfortability? So as we sing this next song, I'm simply asking that we're going to treat this front here as the altar of God. And if you're here and you're going, okay, I got some shame. I, I have a name that I'm believing about myself that isn't true. Or I have sin that I need to deal with. I'm just going to ask you to come up to the front. Kneel at the altar of God. And just kneel in his presence. Sit with Jesus. Let him speak to you. Let him talk to you. Let him reveal the truth about who you are. And just sit there.
you're a prodigal son, even if you have a prodigal son or daughter, even if you, you have left the king for a long time, he's still saying, come back home. Come back home. If this is your first step to come back home, I want you to do that. So as I pray, feel free to come and kneel at the altar. So dear God, I just thank you so much for what you have done. I thank you so much for your glory, your mercy, your love, most of all. That you are calling us to yourself. That you are seeking relationship with us. And not a relationship where we just pour it out and leave a relationship that requires us to do life together. God, I pray for deliverance. I pray for freedom. And I pray for your love. pray this in your holy name. Amen. Would you uh, stand as we sing the song and As Pastor Spencer said, the altar is open if you want to come forward and respond.